All right, well, let's get in uh, to the sermon. Uh, I do have the slideshow uh, that I'm going to put up here in just a moment, and um, you can take some notes. This will be a really easy way. You can just pop screenshots on your phone uh, whenever something comes up that um, touches your heart uh, or that uh, is meaningful to you. Go back and check it out in the text. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today, uh, tonight. Uh, I'm here tonight. Uh, and we'll be finishing up uh, verses 3 and 4. If you haven't seen, uh, if you haven't watched or been to the church, and uh, if you haven't been able to uh, get uh, the other sermons, you can always go back and watch those. They're on Facebook and they're on YouTube. So you can catch up uh, on the introduction and chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And also broke down uh, my understanding of verses 1 through 4 as kind of a thesis statement for the book of Hebrews. And just to kind of encapsulate that and to give you a jumping off point, the book of Hebrews is a letter written by an unknown author, to be honest. We, there's lots of guesses and lots of good theories, um, but we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know that it's an inspired work of God and that the Lord uh, commissioned someone, inspired someone to write that book. And that book is addressed to most likely Jewish Christians who were teetering on the edge of going back to Judaism, back to their Jewish roots in following and, and law-keeping as a means of sanctification or a means of righteousness and things like that. And so this book is written to um, primarily to demonstrate the superiority of Christ um, over all of those things, all of those things which they held dear. So the book goes through um, angels, it goes through the fathers, it goes through the prophets, it goes through, uh, it touches on Moses and Abraham, the the priestly system and, and uh, the King David, all of these are in here in every single instance, in every one of these areas and topics the author is going to say, these were good, but Christ is better. These were a shadow of the things to come. And so what these were pointing to, Christ is the substance and the finish line and the goal, and that it's all fulfilled and all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is, there's no reason. Actually, it's, it's pure insanity and it's, it is um, deadly to go back to those things and to turn away from Christ because there is salvation in no one else but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is kind of an over, a broad, a very broad overview of the primary thing, which is to bring out the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, uh, the superiority of the new covenant, which is under the administration of Christ versus the old covenant, which is found in Hebrews to be under the administration of Moses and those who came before. This one of the uh, another um, primary or uh, very significant thrust of the book and purpose of the book is to is to warn, which we kind of touched on, but it's a warning. Uh, there's many different warnings all throughout the book. You'll have a uh, an argument for the superiority of Christ and a warning, and an argument for the superiority of Christ and a warning, warning those to not turn back, to not go back, to not seek a way other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is one of my favorite books in the whole New Testament. It is 
I think the 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 book in the New Testament that is by far the uh, the the best expounding or explanation of um, or revealing uh, casting light onto the Old Testament. Lots of Old Testament quotes in here, and uh, a ton of. Um, reaching back and drawing off of Old Testament themes and ideas and and stories to show that Jesus Christ is actually the fulfillment of all of those things. And when I say all of those things, I mean all of them, from Abraham to uh, Adam to Moses to David. The whole show, the whole thing is about the Lord Jesus Christ and leading up to him. So, with all of that being said, let's get now into the text, um, and we'll see uh, where the Lord takes us. Okay, so um, let me put the... Okay, so I'm going to share the PowerPoint with you. That way you'll have it with you, and like I said, you can take screenshots, and uh, we'll just kind of move through it as we go. So first, uh, we'll just read our passage, and uh, then we'll start to break it down and, and unpack it. Okay, here we go. All right, so Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So uh, last week we broke down uh, verses 1 and 2, and this week what I want to do is I want to get into verses 3 and 4, and hopefully we'll get all the way through 3 and 4 um, I don't guess you guys are in a hurry. I mean, you're probably chilling on your couch if you're watching this right now, and I guess you will be tomorrow too. So let's get into verses uh, um, one, or I'm sorry, verses three and four, uh, and let's see uh, what the Lord would have for us, and uh, let's start to break it down. Before we get to three, let me just kind of give you a quick reminder of uh, what we had talked about last week, and uh, we'll kind of jump off from there. Let me pull this back in. Okay. So last week we we uh, went through verses 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now this is this these texts are so deep. You could go a million different directions with them, but last week we pointed out what I thought were the big themes in this. And and number 1 is the transition in time. So you'll, if, you, if you'll see there, it, it says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days. So we see that there's a transition from those days to these days. And so we understand from this that it's not one uh, consistent all the way through continuation uh, verbatim without any transitions whatsoever. Now we did talk a little bit last week about how much continuity or discontinuity continuity do we find from the Old Testament to the New Testament? And different camps and different 
theologies, different theological models will have different levels of continuity. And all that means is, is that they'll have different levels and different understandings of how how much of the Old Testament is still in place today? How much of the Old Covenant continues until today? And then on the other hand is discontinuity. So how much of the Old Testament is discontinued? It's no more. And so some camps hold to a very, very, very tight uh, and and uh, strict continuation of these Old Covenant uh practices and ideas and and all of these different things and then some would hold that uh, they're con they're completely discontinued so that that was for that age and this is a completely different age and those things don't apply anymore uh, at all and so it depends on where you are i don't have time to get into all that but what i do want to point out here is and i think it's very obvious from the verse is that there is a transition in time in the former days long ago uh, the Lord spoke through the prophets, and he did that in many different ways and in many different times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Now, we pointed out a lot of, of different things. One of the major things right there is that God spoke. You know, that's a beautiful thing. We talked about how uh, deists and those who do not believe that God is still interacting with us or that God created and then he kind of vanished and went off into the into eternity and he doesn't interact, he doesn't speak. We don't believe that as Christians. We believe that God spoke and he's still speaking. So obviously God spoke then and he is speaking now, but there's a transition from then to now. And in that transition, there is, we also see a transition in administration. So it's not just a then and a now, but it's a how they did it then and what administration were they under then and what administration are they under are they under now so it was one way in that time and in this time it's another way and again i'm on i see some people comment i'm going to pull up in if there if you got any questions or anything i think we got a little bit more freedom here today so uh, i'll try to you know don't get upset at me if i don't see a question or answer it i'm kind of doing about five things at one time but uh, I'll try to I'll try to uh, answer it if I can uh, or or whatever. So uh, so we have a transition in time, and we also see a transition in administration. You say, Brandon, where do you see that in the text? Well, it says long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's how He did it in that time. But that's a that's a a word right there. That that word uh, it, it joins these two phrases, these two clauses together to show that there is a distinction. To, to show that it was that way, but in contrast, now it's this way. And in those days and in that time, he spoke by the prophets. And please don't get me wrong. That was the way that God chose to do it. The prophets were... Uh, they were speaking for God. It was God speaking through them. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That is a transition in administration and the way that the Lord spoke and, and the, the means by which he communicated to us his special revelation. And notice real quickly, too, that it doesn't. So the, the apostles in the New Testament are the equivalent to the prophets in the Old Testament. But notice how he doesn't say in these last days he spoke through the apostles, although the apostles, he, he was speaking through the apostles. So what does it mean when he says he spoke to us by his son? Jesus Christ, I believe this is what it means, that Jesus Christ is the revelation 
of the New Testament. I don't know if you can catch that difference there or understand what I'm saying. So the prophets spoke about God in the Old Testament to bring information and revelation to the people on earth about God. In the New Testament, God himself comes and is revealed. So the prophets reveal about God. In the New Testament, God himself makes his appearance and it, he, he himself is revealed to us, not just about him. Jesus Christ does not teach us about life. Jesus Christ doesn't teach us how to receive life. Jesus is life. So in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, meaning that Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of the total revelation of God. And that's why the apostles are speaking about Jesus. They are revealing Jesus. That's what the gospel is, is that the gospel is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God come in the flesh. So we see this transition in administration from speaking about God to being one with God. Okay, so th that's out there. This is right here. So a transition in administration. And, that, and, and from that transition of administration, we move to a transition to fulfillment. Now, I had put in the slideshow, if you remember from last Sunday, I'd put a transition in administration, but really it should be a trans, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, a transition in fulfillment, but it's really a transition to fulfillment because the fulfillment had always pointed to and been in the same place, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it really should be a transition to fulfillment because Christ has come. So there in the Old Testament, there was anticipation, there was demand, there was longing, there was a searching out. But here in the new covenant and in the new administration under Christ, the fulfillment has come. It is here. There is no anticipation. There is no waiting. Uh, he, Jesus is here. And upon faith, he is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we have a transition from demand to a, uh, to a transition to uh, supply and grace and fulfillment, faith. And so we've moved into this realm where it is reality now. So the prophets told of a coming reality where all sin would be cleansed and the, the nations would be blessed and so on and so forth. Christ is that fulfillment who has come to the earth. And so moving from there now to uh, verses three and four, let's pick up there in verses in verse three. Pull you back in. <clears throat> okay, Ver Hebrews one three a. We'll break we'll break this down into a couple of pieces. There's just a lot there. So uh, Hebrews one three a says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So lots of lots of stuff right here that uh, that we can go through, but I'll just point out a few things. And <clears throat> you know, there's some really really good um, really good commentaries on uh, Amazon that are really not expensive at all. You can get a good commentary. I think I got Charles Spurgeon's commentary on Hebrews for about eight dollars <throat> i think the fuller one the bigger one was about thirteen dollars so um and that's just one I've, I've picked up several commentaries and uh they've they've been really good and really helpful to me but um you if you want to go further you can pick up some of those as well so what does it mean when it says that speaking of christ that he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and how does this 
how does this kind of fit in with the with the push of the of the purpose of the book to show his superiority? I think it's pretty obvious that uh, to speak of Christ as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature is that what he's doing here is is that he's drawing upon the the nature of Christ, the substance of Christ, the character of Christ, who Jesus is. So he spoke in days past through the prophets who were mere men, okay? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now he's going to describe that son and the distinctions that's made between Jesus and other mere men. So Jesus is not a mere man, and that's what we're going to see here in as as full of a of a an understanding or um, as full as words can actually make it. This is going to show that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And that is that idea that, that the, the prophets pointed to God, but Jesus is God. So they told you about God, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the Father. I and the Father are one. So we're talking about Jesus' substance here, okay? Not not only who is he, but what is he? Okay, that's that's the question that's being answered here, and the reason for the transition. So as we think about the radiance of the glory of God, this word radiance right here, you kind of think of the sun that radiates out its heat. It radiates out the light. And that light coming out of the sun is visible. You can see it. You can feel the rays of the sun on your skin. He, he is the radiance of the glory of God. It, when you see Jesus, you see the the radiance of the glory. You see, in, you see God in all of his glory glory you see god in 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 his highest uh form that that god you see god in in all of his beauty okay and we understand that jesus christ is a man but he is also god in the flesh so point number one just if you take a notes or want to take a screenshot that christ is the glory of god that radiates or comes forth so that's this idea of christ coming forth uh, from God that he radiates from God that he that he is he is the glory of God okay and so as we as we go forward I want to kind of I want to zoom in or I want to dial in on that word glory and I just want you to think about a few things now remember that the book of Hebrews is really high on the old covenant the Old Testament stories it'll talk a lot about uh, Abraham and Moses and and uh, David. It, it'll talk about Melchizedek and all of these fantastic Old Testament stories. And so drawing from that same thing, I want you to think about the glory of God. And as we think about God speaking through the prophets in in long ago in those days and how the glory of God, how how did the prophets, how did the the administrators of the old covenant, how did they interact with the glory of God? In contrast to Christ is the glory of God. Do you see there what it says? He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the coming forth of the glory of God. So here, Christ is not just, he's not taking God's glory and showing it to us. No, he is God's glory. When we think of the glory of God, we we think of Christ, that he, Christ is the glory of God. So just to kind of contrast a little bit, consider Moses' experience 
with God's glory. And, and there are several different times that, that Moses is interacting with God and, and the glory of God. And, and Moses wants to see God's glory. Uh, and I even put that in here. Uh, and, and I don't have the whole text um, drawn out for you. But if you want to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus. I do, I do want to read this, uh, though. Exodus chapter 33 uh, this is a phenomenal uh, example of the difference that we have uh, between Jesus and all of those who came before uh, that spoke to God, that spoke on behalf of God, uh, that was used by God. Exodus 33, and Moses was one of the uh, one of the greatest um, figures in all of the Old Testament. The Bible is very clear, even in this text we're about to read, that Moses spoke to God face to face as a friend speaks with a friend. But even Moses, as, as wonderful of a ministry as he had, as close as he was to God, he could not handle the full glory of God. Check, check, out, check it out with me in Hebrews, I mean, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read here. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that the nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. We're going to see a lot about rest later on in Hebrews as well. But it, let's continue. And he said to him, "If your pre this is Moses speaking, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people?" So what Moses is saying is, is, is if the glory of God does not come with me, if the presence of God, if God is not with me, then they they won't know. They 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 won't be able to tell because I, as a mere man, I don't have the glory of God. I am a man, and you, God, must go with me, uh, or it it won't it won't fly. He says, "Is it not uh, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct?" I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Now watch what watch what happens here. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. First distinction right there. <clears throat> is that, that he says, Moses says, Please, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. If it's true in Hebrews, as Hebrews has laid it out, that Christ is the glory of God. He's the, he's the radiance of the glory of God. That Christ, when you see Christ, it is as if you've seen the glory of God because you have. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. Christ is the glory of God. And Moses says, show me your glory. Now, could it be that Moses uh, longed to see Christ? Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a glimpse into the old covenant and the great man Moses that God used so powerfully and we, 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 we could see a glimpse into the mind of Moses to see if he had considered Christ, if he considered the glory of God in Christ? Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But, but it, goes, it gets even better. Watch this. And he said... I will make all of my... Now, this is God. So, so Moses says, show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. Notice how Christ doesn't say, show me your glory, God. 
Christ is the glory of God. And the, the man Jesus Christ, when he comes, he empties himself of glory. He sets aside his divine attributes. He takes a step down from the throne of God to make his, his, his place among us mere men. He takes on the form of a servant. Philippians says that though he existed in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming a servant, taking on flesh. And then Jesus, in his earthly ministry as a man, a God-man nonetheless, but a man who had set aside his divine attributes, and he had given up so much glory that he had had for all of eternity, he says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you from the beginning, that Christ is the glory of God, and he has been so since, since eternity past. There is, there's never been a time when Jesus was not the glory of God, that Jesus, who is eternal, is the glory of God. Here, Moses is saying, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, now watch this. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. Hold on, I want to see you for a second here. I'll cover you with my hand. Until I have passed by, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. God tells Moses, he says, Moses, I love you, bro. But you, 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 you don't want what you're asking for. Moses, I, I love your heart, but you just don't understand. My glory is such that if you were to see my glory, you wouldn't live. You can't, you can't stare me in the face. You can't see all of my glory. You can't see me and you can't make it through that because you're a sinner, because you're dirty, because you, you're corrupt. You're a, you're a man. You, your sins have not been what You cannot experience my glory and live. It would be worse than coming into the contact with the radiation that comes from the sun, the physical sun in the sky. The, the Christ is the radiance of God's glory. If Moses wanted to see that glory, but, but God says, I will let you see as much of me as you can handle. You can't, you can't look on my, you can't handle all of this. In contrast to that, Christ says, as they are looking at him in his face, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How do we look on the glory of God and live? We look on Christ. Because Christ is the mediator between God and man. There is no other mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ humbled himself to take on our flesh and to live as we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died so that he might bear the wrath of God and make it, make it possible for us to experience the glory of God in Christ Jesus. 
And instead of dying, live, live. Christ said, you must suffer with me so that you'd be glorified with me. Oh, that's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so, but going back to this idea, Moses, now, now that's not the only place. There's tons of places. Remember, remember when Moses was up on the mountain and he was getting the, the tablets, he was getting the Ten Commandments, which is uh, like a condensed version of the law. It's, it's like a, you know, it's a condensed version to, to give to the people. Moses is up on the mountain. He meets Yahweh. He meets him in the bush. And, and the angel of the Lord, which I hold to be Christ, it's, it's the Christophany, and Christ is there. And Moses turns aside to look at the burning bush to see why this bush is burning, but it, but it never burns up. It's pure fire. The fire doesn't need the bush as fuel. You ever thought about that? It, it, Sinclair Ferguson, I was listening to a, a, a sermon of his the other day, and he pointed this out, and it just rocked my world. That the, that, the, that the fire in the bush, the burning bush, it was pure, holy, unadulterated fire. It was the fire of God. That's why it didn't consume the, the, the bush. It didn't need the bush. It needed no fuel. It come from God himself. The fiery flames were sustained by the creator of the universe. It didn't need a bush to burn. It needed no fuel. God was the fuel. And Moses looks and, he, and he, he starts to interact with God at the burning bush. And God says, take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is, is holy ground. Well, after that whole story, after that whole situation and, and encounter with God, when he comes back down off of the mountain and he's been meeting with God and just that interaction with God, the, the glory that was radiating, the glory that had stuck to him by being close to God and looking even on a demonstration of God's glory in the burning bush, the glory was radiating from his face so much so that the people, were, they were terrified. They couldn't handle it. They didn't want it. They said, Moses, you've got to cover your face. We cannot see this. We cannot see the glory of God. Why? Because wretched man cannot handle the glory of God without the Son as the mediator. So Moses veils his face to, to, uh, to shield them from the majesty and the glory of God. But now here we are in the New Testament. That was then. You see how we draw this into Hebrews chapter 1 and, and we say, long ago in many times and in many ways God spoke by the prophets but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son who is the glory of God. You couldn't look on God and live but now that Christ Christ has come to mediate and draw us into where we can where we can commune with God and be with God and look on God's face in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have full access under this new administration in this new way through Christ the Son who is the glory of God. Now, speaking of Moses, Moses was looking for the glory of God. You remember, he asked, he said in Exodus 33, he said, show me your glory, show me your glory. And he got a taste of the glory. He couldn't look at the full glory because he would die. But he got a taste of the glory. Now check it out. What, the, what Hebrews, remember I told you that Hebrews gives us windows into the Old Testament to rightly understand and interpret the Old Testament. Oh, I didn't pull that up for you. Uh, here you go. Uh, the second point is consider Hebrews 11, 23 through 26. Not sure if you've ever seen this before, but this is beautiful. So this is the same book. 11 chapters later, listen to what it says about Moses and Christ. It says, by faith, Moses, by faith, Moses, when he 
was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He consider why? Why? Why didn't he just go into Pharaoh's house? Why didn't he just enjoy the, the lifestyle? Why did he choose the, 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 to be labeled as one of these people of God and get all of these, this, this uh, flack coming his way and, and all of this persecution? This is why. He considered the reproach of Christ. What? Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth, greater riches than all of those things in Egypt. He was looking forward. Moses, I don't know how much he knew about Christ. We don't know that, but we know that Moses had some idea of the Christ. He, he had some idea of the coming Messiah. He had some idea of the glory of God that he couldn't get a hold of, but that one day he would be in the presence of the glory of God in all of its full demonstration and power. And instead of dying, he would be fully embraced. He would be fully embraced. Like Abraham, I would, be, um, I would be confident to say that Moses' faith was credited to him as righteousness. And that glory, that glory that Moses longed to see on that day, which he was, that he could not handle, that he, that he could not experience, when he entered into the promised land, on the on the grounds of the propitiatory work of the coming Messiah who would purify everyone from the, for the, from their sins that he got to embrace Christ and he was in the full uh, full and and absolutely pure glory of God and instead of dying he knew what life finally was that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than all of those in Egypt because he was looking forward. Moses nor anyone else could experience the full glory of God and live. Christ is the glory of God that has been revealed to man. Christ is of the same substance as God. Okay, so we've talked about the radiance of the glory of God. And what I wanted to bring out there was the idea that Christ is the coming forth of the glory of God. All of that which was veiled in the Old Testament, all of those things in the Old Covenant that were just out of reach. And the New Testament tells us this in many ways. These are the things on, that, that, that angels longed to see, that was anticipated by kings and, and waited for by prophets. And they longed to see his day and they fell short of seeing it while they were here on earth. But Christ has come and he is the glory of God in our presence, walking around 
on earth, but it goes it goes further. So it may, and, and this is, I've seen uh, some uh, suggest this, and, and I think the analogy falls short. So some may say that, well, Christ is kind of like the rays that come from God, that Christ is not God, but he is like the rays of the sun. The rays of the sun aren't the sun. The rays of the sun are that which is sent forth by the sun. Now, I think that that's not I think that's a wrong interpretation of the radiance of the glory of God. I think we more rightly understand it as the coming forth, the radiance, meaning that which radiates is coming off of, that is coming from. It is the radiance of God's glory, that Christ is the glory of, of God that's coming forth to mankind. But if that wasn't enough, uh, the author of Hebrews goes even further to dispel any ideas that the Son is of a different substance than the Father or the Holy Spirit. That the Son is the same substance of God. And so it's not as if Christ is just coming forth from God, but Christ is God, who who is God and is the glory of God that's coming forth to man. And we see that in this next phrase in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, uh, 3a at the, at the second one. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He is the radiance, he is the radiance of, the glory, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Now, to, to get the full thrust of this, uh, I want to bring in just a little bit of Greek, but it's not complicated. Uh, I brought these in for a reason. So Christ is, that word right there for exact imprint, that's really, um, it, it, I think that's a pretty good translation, the exact imprint. But that word there is character, uh, okay, character, which, which is where we get our word character from. And and meaning that he is the, uh, he is the character, he is the exact imprint, he he is uh, the, the nature of God. And so this exact imprint is that he is the very character of his nature. And that when it says his nature there, that word for nature is uh, uh, hypostaseos, which that's a complicated word. It sounds kind of funny, okay? And I'm not sure if I'm saying it exactly right, but I'm saying it for a reason because I want to point something out to you and remind you of something that we have talked about in the past at a fair length. Uh, hypostaseos, does that make you think of anything? Think of the um, uh, Chalcedon Creed. Think of uh, the debate we had with Chris Day when we were debating hell and the substance of Christ and what happens when Christ goes into the grave. And you think of the doctrine of the hypostatic union. This is where that word comes from. So hypostaseos is the, it's really the substance. It's the building blocks. It's what a thing is. Uh, so our hypostaseos would be a human being, that we are humans. We have the character, Jesus Christ is fully man, but he is fully divine. He is the exact character of his God, the Father, God, his substance, his nature, whatever God is, that's what Christ is. Uh, so we go, Christ is the exact character of God's substance. Whatever God is, that's what Jesus is. Does that make sense to you guys? Whatever God is, that's what Jesus is. In other words, 
Jesus is God in the flesh. But don't don't those two ideas just they man they expand our understanding of what we have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the glory of God come forth and he is God that's come forth in glory and taken upon himself human flesh. He is the God man. And this is what was necessary. And we'll see this very plainly throughout the rest of the book. This was what was necessary in order for him to, to complete the purifying work of atonement. He had to come in the flesh. He had to be made like his brothers in order to be that sacrifice, in order to be that mediator, in order to be that priest. He had God himself, the Son, had to radiate, come forth in the flesh to bring that which was only prophesied about to the earth, to mankind so that which was spoken about was prophesied about jesus christ is that thing that was spoken about and in these last days christ is the revelation christ himself is the revelation and this is a beautiful thing okay so this is fairly thick theologically what how does this affect us in our practical everyday lives I hope you guys are still with me. I got a little excited there, and I'm trying to go back and forth between these uh, screens and not lose anybody. But let's 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 pause for a second and apply this beautiful but big truth. I get that's a big truth, and some of you might be saying, "Well, I already knew that God was." Listen, listen. Take that, and let's make it personal for a minute. Let's make it personal. Okay, Moses in all of his okay, dear child of God, dear child of God, you with me? You with me? Think about this. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, who come down off the mountain and his face was radiating, had to prevail over, who entered the tent of meeting, who, who met with God, who had such an amazing role in the, in, in the old covenant and in the, in the scripture and in the storyline of, of Israel and all of these things. He couldn't see God's glory and live. He didn't get to, but you, child of God, you, you get to, to interact with the glory of God and all of its majesty and that glory will come and dwell inside of your being upon faith you will be regenerated you will become the temple of the living god where the glory of god jesus himself will come and dwell in the innermost parts of your being you will become child of god you will become the temple of god you will become the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant christ dwells you you little old you will become the, 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 the place where God dwells among his people. And you will be now the demonstration of the glory of God to a lost and dying world. Look, evangelism is wonderful, but evangelism that is word-driven and you've got, you've got all of these 
uh, tracks and all these methods, and those are fine. But if you do not have Christ in you, shining forth from you, then you will not touch anyone, for it cannot be you. It is the glory of Christ radiating from you. You see, you are a little Christ. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. And through Christ, you will become the radiance of the glory of God as well because you will be conformed to his image. Child of God, Moses reached out to touch and he could not. He fell short. But you, you, you don't have to reach and touch. You you, you have faith and it comes to dwell inside of you and empower you. To pour it out on everyone else around you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And this is how you reach your full purpose. You were made for the glory of God. You were made to demonstrate the glory of God. Excuse me. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. And have, have your oneness with God through Christ. And be able to participate in the glory of God. It's just beautiful. Okay, let's move on. What time is it? I can't even see a clock. Oh, we've been going for an hour already? What in the what? Okay, well, I'm going to go a little bit further. And uh, if you guys get sick of me, just turn it off. Hebrews 1, 3b. 1, 3b. The second half of 1. Um, I'm going to just stay here all night. I don't know. My wife will be texting me in a minute. All right. 3B. He uphold. This is fun, and I hope you guys are having fun. Y'all comment a little bit. I see a bunch of y'all out there. Uh, let me know. I thought, that's, uh, man, that's good, man. God's word is so good. Anyway, all right. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he upholds the universe by the word and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high so so what are we looking at here okay what are we looking at um a few points here you know thinking about the time i wonder how long i am going to go the the normal well service goes for two hours and you got the worship and the offering and all of that and i usually preach for about 45 minutes to an hour so I'll go a little bit longer, and then uh, maybe I'll just do another one. Uh, I gotta, I gotta get home and rescue my wife from the crazy kids. So uh, I could stay here all night. This is really fun. But anyway, okay, let's see how far we can go in about another ten, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, so we're coming out of three A. That he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let's let's move a little quicker through this. It's it's powerful stuff, though. Okay, powerful stuff. So we see here in this text that Christ is the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. Now, if you'll think back with me to we covered this last week, that uh, Christ is uh, the Creator of the world. So he says. In verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we see that Christ is the creator of the world, but he also is the sustainer of all things. So the Bible here says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That word upholds there, the idea is 
uh, is a continual keeping or propelling forward. So, you know, you might get the idea of holding up the world maybe as like Christ is just, you know, holding it up on his axis so it doesn't fall. But no, the word here upholds is the idea of that he is is holding it all together and he is he is propelling it forward. So in other words, Christ created the whole world and he is the heir of all things. And so he created the whole world. The whole world was created to be his. He is heir of the world. And we also brought out last week that Christ is the heir of all things. We drew in from that, that Christ is the heir of the Abrahamic promises. But all of this fits together quite beautifully because all the whole show is about Jesus. So the whole world was created by him. The whole world is created for him. He's the heir of all things. And the whole world is held together by him and brought to its perfect conclusion and purpose by him. So when we see, and he upholds the universe, that word universe there is, uh, it, it, is, it means all things. So I'll put that in here for you just because, so it's not just this, you know, the things of God or anything like that. No, he upholds the universe and keeps it and propels it. He upholds all things. So that is the angels, the sinners, the the prophets and the believers and and the false prophets and the false teachers. No, he is in control and maintaining everything so that it comes out to the end that it's supposed to come out to. He is he is running the show in other words. So Christ is the producer of the show. Christ is the maker of the studio. Christ is the premier actor. Christ is the one who is directing it. Christ is the whole show. You see how big that Christ is. He made the universe. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God, that he is God coming to flesh. And not only did he make the universe because he's God, but he's upholding it. He's holding it all together. And he's He's taking it to the end that he desires for it to go to. So all he is guiding and upholding all things. This is the powerful work of Christ. Now, w one part of some practical application here I thought was beautiful is that I read this in Spurgeon's commentary, and, and oh, it's so good. I shared it last night, or maybe earlier today, but I shared it on Facebook, that Spurgeon had a good point. He said, how blessed, how blessed is it to know that Christ, who, who, Christ created the whole world, and if Christ can create the entire universe and guide it and steer it and take it to where it's supposed to be and make sure that it doesn't get out of order, and that Christ is the, 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 the one who is the maker of all things, isn't it a blessing to know that Christ, who is the creator, is the one who creates a new heart in us, who creates a new us? Dear friend, if you're in a place right now where you don't know how this is ever going to change, you don't know how it's ever going to end, you're sick of who you were, you're sick of who you have become, you're sick of the way you do things, you are just completely done with yourself, and you understand and know very well that you need a new you, but you don't know how to make it because you, you're not that powerful, Christ is the creator. Christ is the creator of all things, and Christ can create a new heart in you if you would only have faith and believe. That's a beautiful truth right there.
So Christ, who is the creator of all things, is also the sustainer of all things, and he's holding it and keeping it. Now, Christ creates and sustains all things by the word of his power. Now, this is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful right here, too. I wish I had another about two hours. If you could walk through the biblical narrative, you know, the biblical story, the whole meta narrative, the whole scripture, and just follow that um, follow that theme of the word, that thread of the word. It's in the beginning. It's in the end. Uh, he, he, you know, God said the word came forth and creation happens. And at the end of it, it says, you better not add or anything, uh, add or take anything away from this word, that God's word is powerful and Christ is the final word. So, let me draw on that and just kind of point out a few things right here. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Word of God is that which goes forth to create and that which uh, organizes. So I don't have a ton of time to get into this, but it is a, it is a beautiful uh, picture, though, is that in the beginning, we don't... so. You, you might not catch this, and, and I, I don't know, I'll point it out. Go back and read Genesis. It, it doesn't actually it doesn't say that God created everything by his word. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't, but all I'm saying is, is that in Genesis, in the first chapter, at least it says. And the earth was formless and with and uh, formless and void. It was it was without shape. It was it was just there. OK, and God created I, and I, I give that I, I'm not arguing that what I want to point out here is, is that. Christ, who is the creator, when his word goes forth, when when we see when we get here in Genesis chapter one, verse three, God's word is actually organizing that which is there. So God creates light to organize that which is already there in chaos. So so God creates that God organizes, that God takes away and brings brings organization and purpose to the chaotic meaning that's how that's what happens when the word of god goes forth this is what happens when the gospel goes forth this is what salvation is that god said let there be light and there was light that the word of god brought about purpose and organization rhyme and reason and and all of this by the word of his power in the beginning then we move further on John tells us about that word in the beginning, and he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the, and the word was God. Speaking of Christ as the logos uh, that had always existed. Again, we see this idea of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ is the word of God that goes forth, that, that Christ is the logos. He is he is what it means to be in order. He is what it means to have life. Christ going forth <clears throat> makes life. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Further, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And here, this is in Hebrews as well, in chapter 4, verse 12. And in that chapter, he's talking about those who had failed to enter rest and while it still stands that you have a chance to enter into that rest and what it's speaking of here is that those who didn't enter into his rest did so because they didn't believe they didn't have faith and what happens when you have faith is that the that the righteousness of the one who is the word the righteousness of that one who is the word would be credited to you uh, upon faith. And so you see how that works is that when we have faith, 
the Word of God, Christ Himself, comes and dwells inside of us to organize and to cleanse and to purify and to put right that which is wrong. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that's what this is speaking to because that verse there is saying, look, you can't fool God, is that His Word knows what is in order and what is not in order. And His Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce down through the marrow and, and through the sinews all the way down to distinguish and to Discern the thoughts and, and intentions of the heart that you can't get away from God's Word. You can't outthink God's Word. You can't outmaneuver God's Word. And you, you must have God's Word to bring completeness and wholeness to you. That He upholds it all by the Word of His power. That the Word of God, Christ's Word, is that which makes right that which is wrong. And He does that either by salvation or justice, by love or by justice, which is a, just a different side of the same coin. You will not escape the wrath of God, for God's word will be fulfilled. And you see how all of these things start to fit together. Remember how, well, I will get to that. So he's upholding everything by the word of his power. And then lastly, Isaiah 55, 11, his word will not return void. His word will not return void. So shall, Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be. Oh, I forgot you to not up here. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> there we go. So you can see it all. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word never fails. God's word never fails. And Jesus Christ is the manifestation. He is the word of God been made flesh. He's the radiance of the glory of God, God made flesh. He is the Word of God made flesh. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of the universe. And He sustains it all by the Word of His power. Christ's Word is the Word that, that creates, it makes, it, it sustains, it holds together, it drives and propels forward, and it completes in the end. You cannot be who you were created to be without the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. It just, it does not work. Let's see. Okay, I'm about done. The second part of that same verse, so 1-3-B. So, we see that He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. He's holding it all up. He's propelling it forward. He's doing so by His power. Uh, and, and then it, it has this statement afterwards. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Christ, here we go. Let me pull this back up here. So Christ creates, he sustains, and now we see that he completes. Christ creates, he sustains, and he completes all things. Nothing can be completed outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's break that down just a little bit. So Hebrews describes the way that Christ dealt with sin in eight different ways. And I'm not going to give you all eight different ways. We'll see all of that as we kind of unfold and, and walk through the book of Hebrews. But it describes sin in eight different ways. And 
And what it's how the reason it does that is is to demonstrate this pure and simple truth right here that Jesus Christ has made purification for sins. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. What what was anticipated and what was foreshadowed finds its completion in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Christ has done has purified us from our sins. Purification is the final work of redemption that is rooted in the finished work of Christ. So uh, that may be a little misleading. When I read that just now, um, I, I kind of realized, I don't mean by that that there's nothing left after purification. What I mean by that purification is the final work, I just mean that there is no more purification that can be done. That all of your sins, if you're in Christ, all of your sins have been washed away. They cannot come back again. They cannot be brought back up. They cannot be revived. They cannot be resurrected. You cannot find yourself under the, the um, wrath because of those sins. They have been taken on to Christ. They have been murdered and put to death at the cross. They've been taken into the grave. They've been buried. Christ came back up without them. Now, there is more work of redemption to be done yet our full adoption as sons the glorification of our bodies the, the resurrection so that's not what i mean what i mean by the purification is the final work of redemption i'm just pointing to the fact that the purification that comes through faith in the lord jesus christ and his work on the cross is a complete and final work meaning that there no longer remains any sacrifice needed for your sins a lot of sinners or believers they they can't grasp that concept and i have to admit it's hard for me to grasp it as well because well i'm still a sinner right what what this reality is is that if you're in Christ, though you sin now, your sins have been cleansed. You've been sanctified. You've been purified from from all of your past sins, all of your present sins, and all of the sins that you will commit in the future. It is a once-for-all purification, and it is done. And those rituals in the Old Testament, those prophets that spoke of purification, that spoke of cleansing, that spoke, that spoke of the uh, sins being dealt with uh, of the people of God, they only foreshadowed, they only pointed to, they could not offer purification, they could not offer salvation. That is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. But he goes on to show that it's even more complete is that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13 says that purification that came before was just partial. It was a type. It was pointing to Christ. We also know that uh, in Hebrews 10, 4, remember this is the same book, same author, says that it is impossible for the, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Only Christ can take away sins. We understand that because in 10, 12, through 14, 12 and 14 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God points back to Hebrews chapter 1 verses 3 verse 3 of uh, the second half of that verse he says uh, that it was one single all-time sacrifice he sat down at the right hand of God for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified which takes us right into our verses now it points back it says, he sat down because it was finished. Being God, he sat down at the right hand 
All of this is vindication for Jesus Christ being the Son of God, who is creator, who is the sustainer, who is the finisher, who is the fulfillment, the new administration, and the one that came to bring all of the old covenant into its full realization here on earth through the gospel, through faith in Christ. He finishes the work of atonement. He sits down at the right hand of the Father, and all who will have faith in him participate in his death and in his life. That Christ died on the cross so that you would die to flesh, and Christ resurrected from the grave that you would defeat death, and he ascended into heaven that you would ascend to his right hand with him and live. So the believer has not just been forgiven of sins, he has been seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We have a hard time with that part of it, but, but you need to understand, dear child, that Ephesians tells us the same things, that uh, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, but a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And you have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. For the believer, this is a present reality. It's a, it's a already not yet type thing, because you're already justified. You're already purified. You're already a saint. You're already seated in the heavenlies with Christ. It's just not fully realized yet. But you need to start living as if you really are perfected for all time. That's what Hebrews says, is that you have been perfected for all time uh, in Christ Jesus. There is no longer any sacrifices that need to be made on your behalf. You've been fully purified from your sins. You, your sins remain on you no longer. You are not identified with them. You are not under their wrath. You are not under their spell. You are freed from sin. If you're a slave to righteousness, you've been freed from sin. And the last verse right here, and this one is, it really will be quick because uh, this will be uh, touched on more uh, in the next um, uh, sermon because it, this is really expounded upon in, in the second half of chapter one. So let me just touch on this for a minute and we really will be done. Verse four, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Basically what he's saying here is, is that that Christ is the creator, he's the sustainer, he upholds everything by the word of his power, he is God's glory radiating from heaven, that he is the exact nature, he is of the same substance of God, and as he came down here, emptied himself, he came down here, he took on human flesh, he did the purifying work, remember this is, the, this is right after uh, Hebrews 1.3 that says, after making purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Uh, I think Spurgeon points out rightly that this is probably leaning into and pointing more towards the earthly work of Christ. In the uh, So Christ is the God-man. We don't understand how all that works together, the hypostatic union. Christ is the same nature of God and the same nature of man. We understand that Christ is uh, it, 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 Christ has two natures and he is one person. Christ has a divine nature and a human nature. He is fully God yet fully man and those two uh, merge and become one in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think Spurgeon points out rightly that having become as much superior, I think he's pointing to the earthly ministry, the human nature of Jesus because Christ doesn't need to become more superior than the angels. He existed, he created the angels. We, we, we know that when it says he created all things, that Christ is the one that created the angels. He didn't need to become as much superior. He was always been superior. So it necessarily flows from that train of thought that's already been a
established that we're talking about the earthly ministry of Jesus and Jesus emptying himself of his divine attributes for a momentary temporal time in order to do the work of salvation and the atoning work of propitiation on the cross is that when that work was done and he had propitiated the sins of men and done the will of his father by bringing about the salvation, the means of salvation that God's children would enjoy as they uh, believed and had faith is that he went into the grave under the wrath of God because he took on our sins. But when he resurrected, he ascended and was seated at the right hand of God, vindicating him as what he said he was. And that was the son of God, the radiance of the glory of God come down from heaven, exalted back into heaven to just like he said, father, glorify me with the glory I have from you from the beginning. So he became lower than the angels momentarily. And after he had done the work of salvation, he ascended back into heaven to reclaim that seat on the throne as God, as king of the universe. And so we see that here. And this is to point out the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry and his, in his divinity. So it says, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has, in, has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So just a few ways that Christ is superior to angels, and then we're going to wrap it. So Christ's ministry proved uh, to be uh, proved far superior to the angels in many ways. I'm just going to give you seven uh, and let me pull my screen out so you can see all seven, and I'm not uh, blocking part of one. Uh, so, uh, one, we see Christ is the Son and not a created being. Christ is the Son of God, eternally begotten, but not created. Jesus Christ created everything. He created the angels. Jesus is God, the Son. Uh, he is not a created being. He is superior to angels. Two, Christ as God the Son is worthy of worship. And we see these coming up in the, in the rest of this chapter if you're wondering where these are coming from. But Christ as God the Son is worthy of worship. Angels are mere messengers. Jesus is God revealed to us, and, he, and as such, he is worthy of worship. Three, angels are ministers, but they are imperfect. Christ is the great high priest who made, a, made one sacrifice once for all times. So Christ is the minister of ministers. He's the king of kings. He is the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Angels are called ministering spirits, but Christ is the final uh, mediator between God and men, the only mediator between God and men. They are imperfect. For Christ makes perfect that which he purifies. So in the Old Testament, prophets and messengers and angels would uh, give messages. They would make sacrifices. They would do all of these things in in uh, in an attempt to uh, cleanse or to sanctify. And they did in some way, but it was not in a way that would bring purification of sins. They were, um, they were uh, sacrificially, they were um, ceremonially cleansed, but they were not cleansed in their conscience. They were not cleansed in their inner being. They were not actually cleansed from sin. When Jesus Christ purifies, he actually cleanses and washes away all hint of sin. Five, Christ is the creator and sustainer even of angels, that he is superior. Six, Christ is the rightful heir of all things. And that's not just the heir of uh, the promises of you know the Abrahamic covenant, but also the heir of the whole world, everything in it. It belongs to him and it's given to him as such. Seven, Christ, 
the God-man is king, pointing to the fact that he uh, sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's not a messenger. He's not a created angel. He's not just a minister. He is the son of the living God who came to make a once-for-all sacrifice for all sins, for all time, for all those who believe. And he finished his work, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having completed the work of salvation. So there it is, guys, uh, verses 1 through 4. Um, I hope that wasn't too fast. Uh, hour and a half, not too awful bad. That's 30 minutes shorter than uh, a regular service at the well. Uh, and I'm going to go home and uh, help my wife with the kids and uh, maybe hang out with them a little bit. By way of reminder, um, <clears throat> if, it's not, if it does not snow in the morning, if it doesn't snow tonight and it's not stuck on the ground, we will have services in the morning, okay? If there's snow on the ground, this will serve as our uh, sermon for tomorrow. Uh, it will save, I think I saw, Shannon, I think you're on here uh, saying you missed the intro. The live feeds do save to YouTube and to Facebook. Sometimes it takes a little while to post to YouTube after it's saved, so you might have to go back on there and check it out. I think the video is a little bit better and cleaner to watch on YouTube. But anyway, it'll be on Facebook and it'll be on YouTube uh, so that you can catch it later um, and and go back through it if you want to kind of break it down a little bit, catch some notes or whatever. Um, guys, the book of Hebrews is absolutely phenomenal. This Christ that, that I'm explaining to you right now that the Word of God explains to us and reveals to us is uh, it, it just... it's. You can't even wrap your mind around it that, again, I say, you know, if you're living today, then you get to you get to dine with you get to have one on one fellowship with the son of the living God, who is the radiance of the glory of God. Moses could only dream of that. He pleaded with God that he might see God's glory. And here it is, full in your face in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, the, and he's not saying, hey, take a peek at my glory. He's saying, believe on me, believe in me, the son of the living God, and I will come and eat with you and eat with and, and you with me, and I will dwell inside of you. I will make my residence inside of you, and you you will be the temple of the living God. You will be the Holy of Holies where the glory of God uh, uh, dwells. And, and man, that's just amazing. Christ who created the world can create a new life for you. He can create a new heart for you. And out of that heart, you will walk in the power of the living God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And his word will dwell inside of you. The Bible says, I have hidden your heart in my word, O God, that I might not sin against you. The Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will give you the power to live a life you couldn't even but dream of living otherwise. And that won't, that doesn't mean it'll be all peaches and cream and sunshine and roses, but what it does mean is that when the rains come and the winds blow and the floods rise and pound on that house, it won't fall because its foundation will be on the rock. The rock is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right, guys. Love y'all. I appreciate you, and I will see you uh Maybe out tomorrow on the four-wheel or pulling my boys or my little girl on a sled or sledding down a big hill somewhere. So I hope it was a blessing to you. Glory to God. Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to get out of here and uh, go see, uh, go make sure my wife is, is still alive. All right? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. I love you. Uh, what a privilege it is, God, just to get into your word, Lord. I could just do this all night. It's just such a blessing. 
I pray, Lord, right now that this word would be a blessing to those that would hear it. God, I, I pray and hope with all of my being that I divided it rightly and and I did you uh, at least some justice, God, that uh, it's all about you. Lord, uh, help me in my studies that I might do uh, what you're calling me to do. And it might not be my word, but I would rightly divide the word of truth that um, that we might all be blessed by it. God, you've blessed me. And so um, I pray for all those who are sick once again, Lord, um, just just be with them. I pray for this snow coming in, that, um, that you would protect everyone out there, Lord, protect those who may not have heat and, and things like that tonight, God. I uh, pray that the power wouldn't go out, Lord, and uh, I pray, God, that whatever happens, that we would uh, glorify you and have tons of fun and be safe. I pray it all in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, guys, until next time. Did I say that on this? Yeah. Stay thirsty, my friends.